the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. A child of God, a Christ follower, will not allow for sustained anger, which is the same as murder through sustained conflict. He is too poor in in spirit, or she is too poor in spirit to believe that they're entitled to anything like that. They're too busy mourning for their own sin and the sin of others to be angry and hateful and resentful towards the sin of the person who they think is offending them or the person that they're offending. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. They had an article about bias, and it was an editorial, actually. And the author was saying, look, we need to make bias testing mandatory for all people. We talked about this before. Are you going to pass laws? You're going to make it illegal to do this and illegal to do that? You can't change the world through legislation. You change the world through salvation, one soul at a time. And that's why it's complicated, because we don't waste our time with temporal things. And that brings us into conflict with the world around us. We don't have conventional wisdom. We have real wisdom, not wisdom based on sinking sand, but wisdom founded upon the rock, the word of God, Jesus Christ. And that's why he says in Matthew 5, 10, 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because successful kingdom living brings us into conflict with the culture. It makes us stand out, not blend in. And we live in a world that believes in many, many truths, but we only believe in one. So it changes everything. It simplifies our lives to the extent that We have conventional wisdom, and we look at godly wisdom, and we follow godly wisdom. It complicates our lives because many people either A, don't understand, or B, don't want to understand. Many people could care less, and others are downright offended and angry. And so it changes everything. 
we no longer go through life living for the moment. We go through life with eternity stamped on our foreheads, knowing that lives and souls are at stake, and we focus on things of eternal matter, eternal consequence. You have heard it said, but I say to you. It not only changes the way you view life, it also changes the way you live life, which brings us to our next reality, our next fact. It changes everything. How? Changes the way you deal with anger. Changes the way a Christian deals with anger. This is how a Christian stands out. This is how they are the salt of the earth, how they are influences. This is how they are a city set on a hill, a light not put under the table, but set up to give light to the whole house, to the whole world. Because we don't function the way we used to after we come into contact, saving contact with Christ. And in Matthew 5, 21 to, uh, and 22, it says, You have heard it said that you shall not murder, but, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, some translations say raka, will be liable to the hell of fire. What's going on here? The, the Jewish leadership, the Jewish religious leadership had hollowed out the law. And they said, you can be right with God if you don't do this and you don't do that. And he's saying, you know, it's not that at all. He's equating anger with murder. He's equating insults with murder. He's equating uh, looking down on somebody and denigrating them and demeaning them and dehumanizing them with being worthy of hell. I mean, look at the progression here. Look at verse 22. I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. See that liable to judgment? It's the same phrase in verse 21. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. I want you to think about that. Because anger, anger is the prerequisite of murder. And we think of murder as taking someone's life. And the Jewish leadership and the Jewish people said, well, if I don't murder them, it's okay. But what about an incompetent murderer? Is he okay? He tries to take somebody's life and he fails? Oh, well, he didn't murder. He must be right with God. Or what about the obedient coward who's afraid what would happen if he murdered? If he could get away with it, he would, but he can't, so he won't. Does that make him right with God? And that's what Jesus is walking them through there. We live in a culture that, you know, people call people Nazis. People call people names from different ideologies. We we say things. We, we engage in character assassination. That's murder. That's what Jesus is saying. We, we begin to look at people as things. And so we can insult them because we didn't kill them. We can, we can call them. You know, when you call somebody a fool in that day or, or a raka, which means empty head, what you were calling them was an unbeliever. And when you call somebody an unbeliever, you're saying they're worthy of hell And Jesus is saying, for you to do that, for you to just do that flippantly makes you worthy of hell. And the anger that he's talking about here isn't the anger, oh, I hit my thumb with a hammer anger, because we'd all be cooked then, wouldn't we? But what he's talking about is a seething, resentful, bitter, buried in the heart, the mind, the soul, and the gut kind of anger, a vengeful, vindictive anger. And he's saying, you're, you're liable for judgment just because you lack the guts to kill them. You've killed them in your mind a million times. And what Jesus says is this is a slippery slope here. You know, forget about murder. If you are resentful and embittered long enough, you'll act on that. You look at the culture today. You have the extreme right and the extreme left. And they, they 
put no value on the lives of their enemies. And eventually, the fringe of the fringe, and we've seen this even in places like Berkeley and other places, Antifa and these organizations, they start committing acts of violence. And it's just a matter of time till that gets out of hand. Because their hatred, their right-wing or left-wing bigotry, whatever you want to call it, their, their ideology enables them to marginalize and dehumanize. That's what anger does. Spurgeon called anger temporary insanity. You commit murder in your heart. You gossip about people. You sling mud. You call names. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the, to the hell of fire. There's a progression there. Judgment means you might be fined. Insulting to the council, they're going to decide whether you're worthy of death. And really hating people in a protracted, deliberate, vindictive, resentful, I'm waiting for them to say something to tick me off kind of way is damning. That's what Jesus is saying. And so becoming a Christ follower, I'm not talking about professing Christians. I can claim to be a blonde. It doesn't make it so. But real Christians engaged in successful kingdom living deal with anger differently. And you know, people talk about, well, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know what? It's not that at all. One God, one Bible, one word. Leviticus 19, 18, there's an Old Testament passage. What does it say? You shall not take vengeance nor bear, look at that, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. Particularly, this is Israel, this is God telling Israel how to treat each other. This is God telling the church how to treat one another against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And look at those last four words in English. I am the Lord. That means this is a command. This is not an option. It doesn't matter how they treated you. Your Christian faith, your love of God, isn't, and, your, and the outgrowth of that isn't contingent upon how people treat you. You don't get to treat people bad because they treated you bad. You treat others the way you want to be treated. And so he's, he's saying that here. We treat God as God and we don't take his place. We don't take vengeance. As James said, you know, the very mouth that praises God is also the mouth that curses and it should not be this way, particularly for a Christian, Old Testament to New Testament. The world says you have a right to be angry, but Jesus says you don't have any rights. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are morally bankrupt. Blessed are those with poverty of spirit who know they have nothing to claim. Blessed are the unentitled. Again, back to uh, uh, Matthew five forty-three to 44 and 45. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Doesn't say that anywhere. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray. The word pray there is an active. Doesn't say just pray once. Okay, I got my prayer the way I can go on. Pray continually. Pray continually for those who persecute you. Pray continually for those who drive you crazy. So that, for the purpose of, you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the reconcilers, for they shall be called children of God. So it changes the way we look at anger. You've heard it said, but I say to you, inside out, right side up living, in an upside down world, successful kingdom living by a Christ follower changes everything. It changes the way people look at you. It changes the way you view life. It changes the way you live life. It changes the way that you deal with your anger and people notice. It's noticeable because we live in a do it unto others before they do it unto you world. I mean, just look at the political discourse. Just look at the crime. 
Just look at the acts of violence. People get angry and they make people pay, but not the Christ follower. Not those who understand that everything that Christ says, we're to do, we're to build our house upon the rock, not the sand. And that he is our authority. He's just not some teacher. He is the glorious God above who took the form of a man and came to earth to die for our sin. And we live the way he commands us to. We think the way he tells us to. The third reality is this. It not only changes the way that you look at life, it not only changes the way that you deal with anger, all these things build upon one another. It changes the way that you and I, that we, before God and before this fallen, broken, hurting world, it changes the way that you deal with conflict. Where do we see that? Look at verse 23. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. People play all kinds of games with these verses. Well, you know, my brother has something against me, even if he's a jerk and I haven't done something wrong. No, the bottom line is, it's how you handle conflict. And if you're at fault, go and make peace, right? If you, and, and you can see that this individual is at fault because you have the judge and you have the jail and you have lockup time, right? Bottom line, if you've sinned against somebody, if somebody has odd against you, if somebody has something against you, make peace quickly, When God has taken away our hearts of stone and given us hearts of flesh and made us careful to obey his commandments and to do what he has stipulated, we have one response, and that's obedience. Any response other than that is sin. And we want to be be right with the people around us. We want to live out our faith in a consistent, credible way. And so sometimes we, we blow it. We do something stupid or we engage in a pattern of stupid behavior, sinful behavior, wrong behavior. And you know, we just want to go and confess it to God. And, but you know what? We do have to do that. We do need to do that. We need to repent of our sin, confess it, repent it and forsake it. But we also need to go to our brother or sister and be right with them. And if we don't, if we delay, if we procrastinate, if we put off the cost becomes greater over time. And you can see that progression demonstrated there. This goes back to, t- to Jesus' teaching elsewhere in the New Testament in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five to 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend the whole of the law and the prophets. You cannot be at peace with God and not be at peace with your neighbor. You know, we have two types of relationships. There are only two types of relationships in existence. There's the vertical relationship with the God Most High, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's the horizontal relationship with those around us. And the whole of the law and the prophets deals with that. When you read the Ten Commandments, it's all about our relationship with God to start with. And then comes how we live with our neighbor. We shall not steal. We shall not bear false witness. We will not envy. We won't murder. We won't commit adultery. And if we love God, we'll love our neighbor and we'll go make peace with them. That's why I say to people sometimes, 
evaluate your relationship with God, they'll give me one score. I'll say, okay, tell me about your relationship with your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter. Oh, it stinks, but I'm right with God. No, you're not. Whatever the relationship you have with the people around you, whatever the condition of that is, is indicative of your condition with God. And so Jesus says, if somebody has something against you, stop what you're doing and go make it right and then come back and worship. Then come back to the temple. Then come back, you know, deal with it. Because if you don't, it's just going to escalate and fester and metastasize over time. And the longer you wait, the more difficult and egregious the consequences are going to be. You can't be at peace with God and at war with your neighbor, your brother or your sister, your husband or your wife, your colleagues. Your faith, like God's word, is built on these two commands. And your faith cannot be healthy because Christ changes the way that you respond to and handle conflict. And a follower of Christ is committed to ending a conflict quickly, humbly, brokenheartedly, not vindictively, not like the merchant of Venice wanting his or her pound of flesh. A child of God, a Christ follower, will not allow for sustained anger, which is the same as murder through sustained conflict. He is too poor in in spirit, or she is too poor in spirit to believe that they're entitled to anything like that. They're too busy mourning for their own sin and the sin of others to be angry and hateful and resentful towards the sin of the person who they think is offending them or the person that they're offending. They're too meek and self-controlled, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, peace, love, kindness, patience, self-control. You see, conflict is murderous. Murder arises from conflict throughout history. Conflict between people, ideologies, countries, brothers, Cain and Abel, sisters. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. There's a sowing and a reaping principle here. Sustained conflicts lead to sustained casualties and collateral damage. Christ should change everything, should change the way we deal with anger, and that should change the way we deal with conflict. Conflict in our relationships with our children, with our spouses, with our colleagues, with our friends, and with our enemies. And the way in which you judge will be judged against you. And your standard and your penalties will be applied to your account. We'll see that later on in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. But the bottom line is, if you drag it out and if you try to make them pay, you're going to pay yourself every last cent. It was a principle in the law of Moses that if you accused somebody of a crime falsely and tried to get them executed, you would be executed. If you tried to get them punished for a certain type of crime, you would be punished. That's why it says don't bear false witness. Christ changes the way we view and deal with conflict, at least for the genuine Christian. We want resolution, not revenge or vindication. We don't want to wring from them a confession to every detail visited and revisited and every pound of flesh extracted. After all, those who have been forgiven much are inclined to forgive. We want resolution. Blessed are the reconcilers. Blessed are the resolvers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Why? Because they're poor in spirit. And they know that they're no better than the person they're accusing. That's why it says in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 20, insofar as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And in verse, uh, later on it says, uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. The Pharisees wanted form over substance. Christ wants the heart made right with God and man. So if you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift there 
before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Make peace with your so-called adversary. How? Make it a priority. And then what? Do it before it's too late, before there's collateral damage, before there's greater harm. Why? Do it because you love God more than you love yourself and you love your neighbor as Christ commands. Romans 12.10 talks about outdoing one another and showing honor. Love for God, love for others. This is what Jesus is talking about. Being a Christ follower changes everything for the Christ follower and for those around them. But if your faith hasn't changed you, could that faith have saved you? If you're where you, just where you were 10 years ago, 5 years ago, regardless of your situation or circumstances, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, old behaviors, old grudges, old thinking has passed away. All things are becoming new. James says, faith without works is dead. You know, the body without breath, faith, uh, works without faith, they're about the same. Room temperature. So what do you do with all of this? Let me just give you three ways. Take these three ways. Take these three realities and make them sort of a spiritual x-ray, a heart x-ray. Ask these questions of yourself and your devotions. Always examine yourself. Check yourself to see that you're in the faith. Question number one, does your faith, has your faith changed the way you look at life? Yes or no? Do you still see, see things the way you did before you were saved or when you were first saved? Has the way that you look at this life changed? Have your priorities changed since encountering Christ? Second, does your faith, has your faith changed the way that you deal with anger? Or are you still just as angry and persnickety? It's an ancient Ugaritic term, something with a parallel in Hebrew, persnickety. Are you just as difficult as you've always been, just as angry, just as prone to anger as you've always been? And three, does your faith, has your faith change the way you deal with conflict. Somebody once said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome this time. Yeah. Christ changes everything for the real Christian. Everything. It doesn't mean sinless perfection, but you can't stay the same. If you're not growing in Christ, you're probably dead or dying or never knew him to start with. You see, right side up living in an upside down world changes everything. People look at us and they see Christ. It changes the way that we look at life, the way we think, and therefore it changes the way we deal with anger and it changes the way we deal with conflict because we are not the same. We have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in us, enabling us to do in Him what we could not do in our own strength. And it's not about rules and regulations. It's not about avoiding this or avoiding this. It's about wanting Christ to know Him and the power of His resurrection and to display it for all the people around us. Christ changes everything. Salvation changes everything. When you look at these three questions, a fourth question you can ask is this. What would those closest to me say? Do they see Christ in me? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus say? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Lord, sanctify us in truth. Lord, change us, set us apart. Father, polish off the rough edges and make us smooth, reflective images of Christ and who he is and how he is. Father, help us to be the salt of the earth, not to lose our flavor, that our testimonies are good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. But help us, Father, to be light to the world, light to a world that is in darkness, that is in need of truth, that is in need of salvation. Father, Father, help us to be 
Help us to be light. Help us to so let our light shine before men and women that they may see our good works, driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and give glory to you, that we might have the chance to give an answer for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name, the name that changes everything. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.